Yeah, so we are continuing our uh, teaching series on The Chosen, wonderful movie series on the life of Christ. And we are so glad you're here and joined us. And those of you online, welcome. So glad that you've joined us as well. You know, each of these episodes, if you watch them, you see Jesus through the eyes of those who knew him. And that's what makes it different and fun. Uh, The phrase that Jesus used most often when he called people to join him uh, was the phrase, follow me, follow me. In fact, the New Testament records Jesus talking to people about following him 23 different times. Uh, So what does that mean? You know, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Uh, The answer to that will be the focus of our teaching uh, for the rest of our time together. You see, Jesus began his uh, public ministry when he was 30 years old. And the first thing he did was he began to gather a group of guys who he could train and mentor, and we call them disciples, his disciples. And he challenged each of them to come and follow him. And we see this in Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus calls four ordinary guys, they were fishermen, to follow him. Two of the fishermen were uh, Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, and the other were James and John. And the Bible tells us that they had fished all night but had caught nothing. Pretty discouraging. But as they came up to the shore that morning, Jesus got their full attention by performing a miracle. And uh, once they begin to recognize who Jesus really was, and he invites them to follow him. And the writers of the, the movie, The Chosen, they do a great job on this scene. And so you, you watch. Put that down for a catch. A little farther out. I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. But we've been doing this all night. Nothing. All right. At your word. Bring it in. Bring it in. Hold on. Push it, push it, push it. Let's it. Push 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 it.
I love you. I love you. I love you. My brother and the baptizer. <laughs> you are the Lamb of God, yes? I am. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am and the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We, we've waited for you for so long, we believe. But my faith, I'm sorry. Lift up your head, fisherman. What do you want from me? Anything you ask, I will do. Follow me. I will. You as well. Yes, you, James and John. Come, follow me. Take the fish into market and settle up Simon's death. I'll get some help to fill both of these boats. Are you sure? Yes, go. What will you tell Ima? <laughs> We've just been called by the man we prayed for our entire lives. And you ask me, what will I say when you miss supper? <laughs> go, now. So, you sure you don't want to do this just a few more times? Well, we'll make a great team on the boat. Son. Joking. <laughs> Fish are nothing. You have much bigger things ahead of you, Simon, son of Jonah. Did you understand that parable I told earlier? From now on, I will make you fishers of men. And you are to gather as many as possible, all kinds. I will sort them out later. Nothing that makes sense. Last night you told me the truth. Let's continue with that.
So I worked for hours last night, and I couldn't even catch one fish the entire night. And then Andrew and the boys showed up. Thank you for that, by the way. And none of us could catch one fish the entire night. It was horrible. And this morning, we finally gave up, and we went to shore. But there was this teacher on shore. And Andrew knew who he was, but I'll talk about that later. He told me to cast one more time, which made no sense, but I did it anyway because of the way he, he looked at me. And then so many fish showed up. They were pouring into the boat. So many kept coming that, that Zebedee ended up filling both of our boats, enough to pay off the whole debt. I... Eh... What? I know. Why don't you seem happy? Well, this is hard to explain. More than what you just told me. You know, it's like the story of Elijah and Elisha. Yes? Elisha was plying with 12 yoke of oxen when Elijah the prophet just walked up and threw his cloak over him. I, I call him to follow him. And without delay, Elisha slaughtered the oxen, burned the plow, and left everything behind. Yes. The, the teacher. Andrew told me, but I didn't believe him at first. He's the Messiah. I know it sounds impossible, but I, I saw it with my own eyes. He made boatfuls of fish appear out of nowhere. And the words he spoke, the one John told Andrew was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was him. And then, and then he called me to follow him. And Andrew, James, and John to go where he goes and, and to learn from him. And he said that I wouldn't be a fisherman anymore, but that I would catch people instead. I don't even know what that means, but I'm sure what I saw. He's the one we've been waiting for all our lives. And I want to quit fishing and leave the sea behind to go. I know, I know, I know it makes no sense, and I knew it would make you upset. All I can tell you is that this I'm is. Upset. sometimes I don't want you to feel abandoned you have to go with him how could I feel abandoned I feel saved it, it, it's not gonna be easy when have we ever had anything easy <laughs> so he called him to come follow her what does that mean what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, it obviously means uh, that you believe in him, that who he is, that he's more than just a good teacher, that he actually is the Messiah. They, so they actually stepped across the line of faith and they come to believe who he is, the Son of God. 
uh, that's come to pay for the sins of the world. Um, so there's belief, and as we just watched there, there's repentance, like we witnessed with Peter. And so we're starting from that fundamental foundation today, okay? And then, which leads into number one, following Jesus is a call to be with him constantly, to be with him constantly. You want to fill in the blank there in your app on your phone. Spiritual growth is a relationship. It's not about rules. It's not about rituals. It's not about a, a formula. It's about being with Jesus. And it's, it's about getting to know him. And the invitation for you and I to follow him is all about a relationship. And it's about being with him and getting to know him. Jesus said in John chapter 12, if you want to be my disciple, you must come and follow me because my servants must be where I am. And if they, are, if they follow me, the Father will honor them. Jesus said, my servants must be where I am. And that was his plan all along. Mark 3 says the plan was that they would be with him. There, there's that phrase again of spending time with Jesus. They would be with him. And then he would send them out to proclaim the word. And that's living on mission as we talked about last week. But today we want to talk about the second half of our mission as to be fully devoted followers of Christ. So how do you go about doing that? Obviously, Jesus is no longer with us physically like he was 2,000 years ago. So how do you go about being with him and getting to know him? Well, the Bible tells us that just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he looked at his disciples. He says, it's better that I go because if I go into heaven, I'm sending, I'm sending the comforter, the Holy Spirit, who can be with you always. Okay? And the Holy Spirit, of course, is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Trinity. There's God the Father, there's God the Son, Jesus, and then there's the Holy Spirit. But they are three in one. They're three in one. So now, as you've received Christ into your life, the Bible says you have the Holy Spirit inside of every believer. And so you can actually talk to Jesus all the time. All right? You can have a running, ongoing conversation with Him all the time. You can. I talked to him today. I've talked to him quite a bit today. Right when I woke up and from the moment I got on this platform, it's called practicing the presence of God in your life. And oftentimes I'll begin my day with talking to him before I even get out of bed. And then I'll go in the living room and I'll talk to him some more. Oftentimes I'll need his wisdom because I don't have the slightest idea how to handle a situation. So I'll ask him. I'll say, Lord, tell me what to say or tell me what to do. I'll talk to him a lot when I'm driving in the car. And as you grow, as you spend time with him, and as you get to know him, you'll actually learn to hear him speak back to you. Not in an audible voice, if you hear that, you'll probably need a psychiatrist. But, uh, but he doesn't usually speak to people in an audible voice. But he does most certainly put ideas in our mind that come from him. When the devil puts an idea in your mind, we call, call it temptation. When God puts an idea in your mind, we call it inspiration. Okay? When you and I put an idea in our own minds, we call that usually a bad idea. 
Uh, but we grow by being with him and getting to know him. And the more time you spend communing with him, the more you're going to grow. I mean, if, if all you do is have just this little short quiet time in the mornings, you're not going to grow very much. If all you do is talk to God when you come to church on Sundays, you're not going to grow that much. But as you begin to learn to talk with the, to the Lord all the time and have a continued ongoing conversation with Him about whatever's on your mind, then you're going to start growing in your walk with the Lord. God's invitation, Jesus' invitation to follow Him is an invitation to a relationship, to get to know Him. Uh, number two, following Jesus is a call to love Him supremely, to love Him supremely. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, you must love me more than your own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, more than your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. What's he saying? He's saying that you and I, our love for God is supposed to be so intense that everything else pales in comparison. Okay? Doesn't mean that you don't love people. In fact, the more you love God, the more you're going to love people. If you put him first in your life, you're going to love more pe people even more. But he is saying that supremacy belongs to God. And guys, the greatest gift you can give your wife, uh, the greatest gift you can give your children is to love God supremely. All right? When, uh, when a husband or a dad loves God supremely, it really creates enormous security in the mind of your wife and your children because they realize, you know what? You're not, you're not making decisions on your own. You're depending on the Lord. You're asking him for wisdom. And so they're like, hey, dad's not going to steer us wrong. He, he's listening to the Lord. And he's walking in obedience. So Jesus said, you must love me more than anything else. In, in Mark 12, he said, the most important command out of all of them in the Bible is this. I mentioned it last Sunday. You must love the Lord your God the top thing, the more, more than anything else, with all your heart, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Your spiritual maturity is measured by how much you love God and how much you love people. Number three, following Jesus is a call to die to self daily. It's a call to die to self daily if you're going to follow him. Jesus said in Luke 9, if anyone wishes to follow me, he must deny himself, set aside selfish interests, and take up his cross daily and follow me. The root word for deny means to separate or away. There's a death that must take place. And the key to following Jesus, if you're going to be a follower, is to die to self. You do that daily, to die to your own self-interest, preferences, and taste, and become wholly his. He's the center of everything, and everything else flows out of that. It's not that, hey, uh, hey, I'm a Christian too. I go to church. No, he's everything. The call to following Jesus means to lose your life so that you can find new life in him. And Jesus said, if you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will find true life. In the Gospel of John... It tells a story of a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a guy who had seemingly achieved most everything a person could ever want here on this side of heaven, and status, power, and wealth, and 
But if you've lived life long enough, you, you understand, you realize that this world's definition of success is not enough. So Nicodemus, he's searching, and, and so he approaches Jesus. And I'd like to show you this clip. Watch it. But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. And from what? From sin. From spiritual death. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish. But have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Have you ever heard anything like this before? Shh. When I met Lilith, Mary, that day, I told my wife and my students I said, she was beyond human aid. Only God could have healed her. And then I saw her healed. And here you are. I, my whole life, I have wondered if I would see this day. Follow me, and you'll see more. Follow you? Join me and my students. In two days' time, we leave Capernaum. Come see the kingdom I am bringing into this world. But I, I, I can't. You have a position in the Sanhedrin. You have family. You are getting advanced in years. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. But the invitation is still open. The invitation to what exactly? <laughs> to lead a nomadic life, to, to give up. Who I am. It's true. There is a lot you would give up. But what you would gain is far greater and more lasting. Is this another one of your born-again mysteries? <laughs> uh, maybe. I know mysteries aren't easy for a scholar. Think about it. Hmm? Take your time. On the morning of the fifth day, we leave and we'll meet by the well in the southern quarter at dawn. Is, is this. Is the kingdom of God really coming? What does your heart tell you? heart is swollen with fear and wonder. You can tell me nothing except that I am standing on holy ground.
Sen. I do hope you come with us, Nicodemus. the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Nicodemus came to Jesus searching, and it, it seemed like he believed, right, who Jesus was. And yet the idea of now he was faced with is, am I going to follow him? Because if he's going to follow him, that's going to be a great cost to Nicodemus. I mean, Nicodemus had a lot to give up, and he didn't realize all that he would gain. But he, Nicodemus was an influential leader among the Jewish ruling council. He was wealthy. He lived a very comfortable life, and he knew that if he followed Jesus, all that would be gone. And they captured the tension of that really well in the movie. Uh, watch this clip. here? Yes, this is all of us. Is there anyone else? Look at this. What is that? I don't know. Let's find out. Gold. A friend of mine left that for us. It's enough for two weeks of food and lodging. <laughs> you came so close. What do you mean? We need to go for it to make it to a camp in Tiberius by nightfall. Simon is correct. Let's go. In my clothes. Should I have others? <laughs> so have you ever have you ever wondered what happened to Nicodemus after that? 
Well, the Bible tells us that after Jesus' crucifixion, Nicodemus actually reveals himself as a believer, a follower of Christ, that immediately following Jesus' death on the cross, that Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea provided the tomb for Jesus' body, but also Nicodemus provided a huge financial investment for their burial. And not just that, but chapter 19, verse 39 tells us that Nicodemus came with Joseph of Arimathea to prepare Jesus' body for a proper Jewish burial. And what we need to understand here is this, that both of these men, by handling the dead body, would have been thought to have defiled themselves of the Passover. No true rule-keeping Pharisee would ever do that for any reason. And Nicodemus knew that this act alone would get him kicked out of the Sanhedrin. But he did it anyway. And so we eventually see Nicodemus move from doubt to belief to eventually even becoming a fully devoted follower of Christ. Uh, number four, following Jesus is a call to obey him continually, to obey him continually. That's the mark of a disciple. To follow him means you're going to apply his teachings to your life and you're going to do what he says. And sometimes what Jesus asks us to do is not always it don't always make sense to us right away. It's not always popular. It can cost us something. But it's always the right thing because God will never steer you in the wrong direction. Amen? Uh, John uh, 8, Jesus said, If you continue to obey my teachings, you are truly my disciple. When, uh, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, everybody in America knows this phrase, the truth will set you free, right? But not many Americans know the first part of the verse where he says, if you continue to obey my teaching, then you're truly my disciple. You know, there are people who have been Christians for many, many years and yet have never grown spiritually. They're still baby Christians simply because they do not do what Jesus asked. They do not follow his teachings. It was Oswald Chambers who said, spiritual maturity is not reached by the passing of the years, but by obedience to the will of God. Spiritual growth is not measured by how long you've been a believer. Spiritual growth is not measured by how much biblical knowledge you have um, that you know. It's measured by how much time you've actually spent with him, communing with him, getting to know him, how much you love him, and how much you obey him. And you see, you and I, we only really believe the part of the Bible that we do. I only believe the part of the Bible I actually practice. You can say, oh, I believe this, but if we don't do it, we don't really believe it. Do you believe that you should forgive people who hurt you? Yes, but if you do not do it, you don't really believe, do you? You only believe the part that you actually do. And let me encourage you this in your motivation to obey. Yeah, we should just do it because he said to do it, but it needs to be out of love. I love the new uh, song we've been singing, Holy Water, the lyrics on the bridge. I don't want to abuse your grace, God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. The right motivation for obeying God should never be just out of guilt or fear or some kind of an obligation like a Pharisee. It should be out of love. I want to obey God out of love because he first loved me. Does that make sense? Number five. Following Jesus 
is a call to trust him fully. It's a call to trust him fully. Trust and faith and obedience are all characteristics of someone who has decided to follow Jesus. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. A follower of Jesus is someone who trusts in him fully. Paul goes on in Philippians 4 and says, do not be anxious about anything. Other translations say, don't worry about anything. You got anything to worry about? Notice this is a command. Did you ever, did you ever see that? Don't worry about anything. It's a command. Why? Because worry implies that we don't quite trust that God's big enough, that God is powerful enough, and that he's loving enough to take care of what's, whatever's happening in our life. Is there anyone who walked in here this morning not worrying about anything? <laughs> Is there anybody who walked in here this morning not anxious about anything? Don't worry about anything. Is that even possible? Well, sure it is. I mean, God would never have commanded us to do it if, it if it were not possible. This is what he wants for his children. Let me ask you this. Some of you have been in a position where you oversee people in your workplace or maybe you oversee children in your home so you can relate to this. When you give an employee a task or an assignment after you give them, after you give them the assignment, do you ever worry that it'll get done? <laughs> huh? Or do you worry about, you know, just kind of in the back of your mind, you go, I hope they actually do that. Have you ever worried about it getting done after you've given someone the assignment? Well, it depends upon the person, right? It depends on whether or not that person is trustworthy or not. Let me ask you this. Sometimes when you pray to God, do you ever still get anxious? Sometimes when you share your need or concern with him and you just kind of put it there, do you ever pick it back up and begin to worry again? Can I get an honest hand up here? Anybody? Yeah. yeah, me too. So what does it say about us when we do that? Well, let's get honest. I mean, sometimes when that happens, we're just saying, when that moment, we're just like, I don't trust God. I don't really trust that he heard of my prayer. I don't really trust that he's going to take care of this situation or whatever that concerns me. Because afterwards we're going, I, I, I wonder if he's heard me. I wonder if he's going to take care of me. We treat God sometimes, if we're honest, as if he's not trustworthy. <laughs> I have great staff here at Brandywine. Don't you agree? I mean, they are dependable. They, if you've been around them, you know they're low drama. I mean, in other words, they're mature. And, and if I give them any task, I never have to wonder, are they going to get that done? 
Are they going to do that? I never, I never lay in bed ever wondering that. That's the way God wants us to trust him. <laughs> Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. He says with thanksgiving. I think that's the first thing that goes when we get stressed. Don't you? Thanksgiving? To be a follower means to be thankful. And it means that I can trust him because he hears it. He's trustworthy. And I just trust that he's got this. And and that he'll, he'll take care of it. And he says, and this is what'll happen if you'll do that. Check it out, verse six and seven. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus if you'll do this. Let me ask you, do you think God is sitting on his throne this morning worried about anything right now? <laughs> Do you, do you think God's worried about anything? No, he's sitting there in peace. Do you think this whole COVID thing that we're walking through surprised God? No, he's in control. He's on his throne. You know, we get all stressed out because we, we can't control it. And yet we serve a God who's in complete control, who's in complete peace. And God is saying, if, you, if you'll follow me and if you'll put your trust in me fully, you can have that peace too. You can have a peace that surpasses all understanding. The problem is a couple hours from now, when you get home and life begins to happen, you begin to focus on the problems rather than how big he is. And that's why in this next verse, he says, finally, brothers, Whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. There's a battle going on for our minds and our thoughts. And if you dwell on their problems, you're going to get all stressed out. And yet God says, that's not what I want you to dwell on. Those things are beyond your control anyway. God says, just give them to me. I heard your request. I, I'll take care of you. Just trust me. Just dwell on me. You know, this morning, I'm not just preaching this to you. I'm preaching it to myself. <laughs> you see, uh, you ever got some news that just kind of, whew, didn't see that coming. See, my wife, Kathy, uh, has been having some health problems. And we found out this week that she actually has stage one endometrial cancer. And yeah, that was my reaction. I was like, whoa. And that she's going to have to begin some radiation treatment. And you know, we, we really believe that we caught this early and we're trusting God for complete healing. And I have confidence that 
She's going she's gonna to live a long life. I really do. What is faith? What is faith? I know there's some whacked out doctrine out there that those who believe, you know, if you just have enough faith, if you just say the right formula, the right magic words that God has to heal you, that God somehow he's obligated, you know, he's kind of like his genie in a bottle. The truth is God doesn't have to do anything. That's not a biblical definition of faith. I mean, that's silly. I mean, every Christian would live to be 120 years old if that's true, if we just learned the formula. But eventually, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot with that theology. The New Testament, and don't doubt me, I, I believe in, I mean, I believe. I mean, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I mean, I even believe people are resurrected from the dead today. I know some of that's going to stretch for some even, but it's either true or our missionaries are lying out of their teeth. But the New Testament definition of faith is saying, God, I'm giving this concern to you. I'm giving my wife to you. I'm, I'm placing her in your care. It's, it's, it's the Abraham and Isaac thing. This is, this is where it's at. I'm giving this situation, I'm giving her to you. And I'm trusting her to you. And I, I have no doubt that you're able to heal, but my confidence is not in what you do or you don't do. My confidence is in you. That's New Testament faith. Yeah, a couple of you. You see, faith is choosing to trust God even when the road ahead seems uncertain. That's faith. Faith is a confidence that no matter what lies ahead, I'm trusting that he's already there. He's going to walk this road with me. We're going to do this together. And the Bible says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but he will deliver us from them all. He's, he's there with you all the time, through every fire. In 2 Corinthians 12, God tells us his grace is sufficient for us. What does that mean, his grace is sufficient for us? Well, it means that his, he has enough grace to carry us through any storm that we might walk through. And it means that he's going to be there with us. And you know what, Kathy? She doesn't have any fear. We both have this peace about us. It's like, he's saying, you know what? No matter what challenge you have, he says, whatever life throws your way, whatever you have to face, he says, I'm going to be there. My grace is sufficient. So, folks, this is a picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus these five steps. So right now, I just want to invite you to do just that. I'm just going to ask you to bow your head with me. And if you've never, maybe you're where Nicodemus is, you believe, but man, you've never settled the lordship issue. You've never really fully devoted yourself to following him. And from this day on, you're saying, man, I've, I've decided I'm going to fall in fully. And I want to learn the habit of being with him 24-7 so I can get to know him and say, God, I want, to, I want to learn this discipline, this habit of doing it. And I want to love you supremely. Just tell him. I'm putting you first, my love for you above everything else. And I want to learn to die daily to myself. Empty me of me and fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Just tell him. And I want to do everything you, 
you ask me to do. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obey you. And I'm going to trust you fully in whatever situation may be. If you've never opened your heart and life up to Jesus Christ before, man, don't leave here today and don't leave your computer or TV set without settling this issue right now. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Change me. Transform me. Lord, I believe with all my heart, I believe that you died on the cross for me. Just tell him that. You rose from the dead and I want to have eternal life. I repent of my sins and I receive you into my life and I make, so Lord, thank you for making me your, your child forever and thank you that I'm, I'm yours because Jesus lives in me. Thank you. In your name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Can we thank him today? You said yes to God. There's a step there on your card. Mark that off. We'll get you a new believer's Bible, even if you're online. And if you want to go over the yes table, you can do that today. Let's stand together with our whole hearts, fully devoted, following him. Let's sing it together.